on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone to season two of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, where we deep dive into uplift with insight, thanks to remarkably informed guests exploring the nature of our human nature and how to better engage it. If abnormal is the new normal and perceiving is the new believing, then inner is the new outer and consciousness is our new source of healing. Yet for many, it feels like anything but the dawn of an era of well-being. From pandemia to war to economic, environmental, and even democratic breakdown and more, as space exploration advances at breakneck pace, all share center stage in this overheated emotional climate that our species struggles to navigate. So what's going on? Well, if you look at it from the outside in, it's the same old conflictual story getting rather scary. But now we're raising the bar by raising awareness that this mess of our humanness can only be resolved from the inside out as in vision emanating from a profound shift in perception about the world around us and within us. This is the thrust of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and book. I'm Alison Goldwyn, and we're in a mighty discussion space featuring mighty voices of loving change, two of whom are our esteemed co-hosts, Irvin Laszlo, a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, world-renowned philosopher and systems scientist, author or co-author of over 106 books, founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and recipient of multiple honors and awards like the Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, and the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and Fred Sau, business leader, author, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, fusing ancient wisdom and quantum science as a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life, mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness. Today's exceptional guest, is Dr. Deepak Chopra, founder of the Chopra Foundation, a nonprofit entity for research on well being and humanitarianism, as well as Chopra Global, a modern day health company at the intersection of science and spirituality. He's a world renowned pioneer in integrative medicine and personal transformation, and a clinical professor of family medicine and public health at the University of California, San Diego. Deepak serves as a senior scientist with Gallup Organization and is the author of over 89 books translated into da, 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 over 43 languages, including numerous New York Times bestsellers. His 90th book, a national bestseller, Metahuman, Unleashing Your Infinite Potential, unlocks the secrets to moving beyond our present limitations to access a field of infinite possibilities. Time Magazine describes Dr. Chopra as one of the top 100 heroes and icons of the century. Quite the legacy, so I wanna welcome this metahuman to our conversation about well-being because Frankly, Deepak, I never met a human I didn't like. <laughs> now, uh, this conversation is going to go over to Irvin, but before I do that, and then we're going to swing over to Fred, I want to read a brief excerpt from your fascinating chapter of Dawn of an Era Wellbeing book because of its relevance to the current competitive notions of Western success, they excess, if you will, versus Eastern, Eastern wisdom traditions. And if this alchemy of both is ultimately the solution. So here is the book quote from, I believe, page 110. 
Deepak writes, morality and spirituality add meaning to human existence. And the one thing human beings cannot tolerate for long isn't poverty, but a meaningless life. If we cut to the quick, all models for achieving well-being are fatally flawed by using the reducing valve. When infinite possibilities are squeezed down into a few possibilities advocated for our own good, the price is too high. Instinctively, children rebel when a parent says it's for your own good. And the same is true when we are faced with formulas for well-being. Traditional cultures have their good points, no doubt. But this doesn't explain why the Japanese, Chinese, and Indians flee in vast numbers away from their traditions into the arms of westernized living. So on that fascinating note, over to you, Irvin. Take it away. Alison, thank you. And Deepak, welcome to this podcast. We go back, I don't know how many years, but I have never treasured a friendship more than it is with you. I consider you one of the wisest people on earth. I want to ask this wisest person on earth a very fundamental question. I have a sense, it's an intuitive sense, and I want to ask if you share this or, or not. This sense is that somehow we have buttoned out, that somehow that's what we are facing is now, and among the alternatives, a good, a positive place a positive way forward. That what is beginning to happen is that the human spirit is beginning to awaken. As I try to facilitate a movement toward, toward what I call the upshift, shifted toward an evolutionary higher level of sustainability and thriving, as I, as I talk about that, I feel a resonance. Somehow more and more people join. I have more and more people saying yes, this is something we want to get involved with and something that we feel too. Somehow we are on the cusp and, and what is forward, what is ahead of us is a next leap in evolution. Perhaps too optimistic, too, too, too uh, thought out. I don't think so. Deep down, I think that we have got now to the dawn of a new age as this podcast series calls it. We are someplace where we can open the way forward like never before. This is just to add this one thought, never before in the history of humanity and the planet have a conscious humanity faced an alternative like the present, an alternative of choosing its destiny, choosing it consciously. This is the first time this opportunity arises. And somehow I feel that we are meeting it I'm not usually that optimistic, but I somehow feel that we are on the right path. We are moving forward. Deepak, what is your intuitive sense as well as scientific rational sense? Where are we in this historic, at this historic turning point? Which way are we going forward? So thank you for having me um, in this podcast, Irvin. I treasure our friendship, also my friendship with Fred. So, uh, whom I've known intermittently for many years. And thank you, Alison, for also introducing me and inviting me to this conversation. So, you know, Erwin, when people ask, um, are you hopeful? My answer is hope is a sign of despair. We don't need hope unless 
<laughs> that is despair. Uh, so, you know, we have to be independent of both hope and despair. Same thing for optimism. There is a pessimistic way to look at what it is, and we should go through it in an optimistic way. But I would like to get away from these ideas of pessimism and optimism to what is reality. And if we embrace reality as we are beginning to evolve to the understanding of reality, then we don't need optimism. We don't need uh, <clears throat> hope. What we need is what our essential nature is, which is creativity. And creativity, of course, also includes imagination. And even that is not enough. We need creativity and we need imagination and we need an emergence through an ecosystem or matrix of what you might call love. Love not as a mere sentiment or emotion, but as the ultimate truth at the heart of creation, which is subject and object of experience are one. Seer and scenery are one. Lover and beloved are one. Knower and known are one. Now, no, we've heard this many times. Sometimes very profound truths become uh, cliches. And then uh, people forget how profound they are. So we've heard, you know, reality is one. We've heard reality is infinite and formless. We've heard that whatever we call reality modifies itself into both perceptual activity, which we call the physical world and the physical body, which is a human construct, because there's no such thing as a physical world. It's a human interpretation for human perceptual activity that we call matter. Nobody has ever proved the existence of a substance called matter. And, you know, if you look at uh, whatever we call matter, ultimately disappears into formless, infinite, non-matter. The essential stuff of the universe is actually non-stuff. And it seems to be intelligent non-stuff. So there's an organizing principle. There's an evolutionary principle. The formless reality that is differentiating into species-specific observers, species-specific modes of observation, and species-specific things observed is infinite and incomprehensible. Even to words, use words like uh, inside or outside, you know, these are very convenient fictions because the, in this formless reality, there's nothing inside or outside. It is modifying itself as this experience that we're having right now. And as we um, shift our identity to this formless reality, we do realize that ultimate reality is a field of infinite possibilities. It is unpredictable because it is creative. It is the source of attention and intention. It's self-organizing. It's self-regulating. And the only thing that we can do um, um, wrong is to interfere with it. So the whole idea that uh, I am doing something, that I have causal agency, is what is causing problems. The subject-object split, the naive realism that says that we are physical objects in the physical universe, and that the world exists as perceived by humans, even if humans are not there, is actually a very ridiculous idea. So science itself is 
demolishing its own precepts. You know, right now, science is based on subject-object split. It's based on the assumption that there is something called matter. And it's also based on the assumption that atoms and molecules and force fields somehow create the experience that we call consciousness, insight, intuition, imagination, creativity, transcendence is the dance of molecules. Nothing could be more ridiculous. So in, I just want to conclude my answer by saying we are at a crossroads. <clears throat> we continue the road we've traveled for the last 40,000 years since the cognitive revolution, tribal minds, modern capacities, nuclear weapons, climate change, mass migration, social injustice, economic injustice, eco-destruction, and, and you know, weapons of mass destruction and mechanized death, then we are sleepwalking to extinction. And that's a possibility. We are at that crossroads. The other possibility is to embrace what you're saying, is to understand that all we need for this emergence is shared vision, uh, emotional and spiritual connection with each other and caring for each other, and then complementing the genius that we have in the modern world with all the understanding. But science itself has to take that quantum leap beyond naive realism and understand that what we call the physical universe is our collective manifestation, collective uh, uh, dreamscape, and what we call our body minds are, at the moment, fictional characters in this collective dreamscape. If we transcend these modes of thinking that we've had uh, since primitive times uh, with these modern capacities, then I see what you have as a vision, a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. But this is a moment of choice for collective humanity. You cannot depend on uh, special interest groups, nor can you depend on uh, leaders, world leaders. Most of them are gangsters and murderers. And you can't even depend right now on industry, the industrial complex. So you need a grassroots movement of shift. And that quantum leap has to be what you are suggesting right now. I'm sorry for a very long answer, but that, that's a summary of where I think we are. Deepak, we think exactly like, you know, my biggest project right now, the one I'm going to wish I put all my energy, in inspiration, whatever insight that I had, is called the upshift movement, where people can join to facilitate that direction which is in an evolutionary sense, which gives, brings us to a higher level of integration with, with freedom, with consciousness. This is not an, an indifferent universe. This is what I'm saying. It doesn't go by itself completely. There are elements in it which move it in one direction or another. And my question, my intuition at the same time as I want to share with you, that somehow compared to what it was six months ago, a year ago, or many years, or several years ago, there is a positive element, a positive motivation, a something emerging, which is not entirely indifferent, not casual. It is emerging because it's part of the universe. It's an evolutionary imperative. It's you either join together and create a whole, a whole system which has its integrity, has its unity in its diversity, 
and is capable of cooperation, all that system and its environment are going to break apart. That's why we need that new thinking, that new vision that you're both talking about. Everything I say, you say about the new sciences is exactly what I've been thinking about, the writing about. It's perfect. But I want to add, I have this sense, not a determined, predetermined sense, but a sense of possibility, enhanced probability, let's say, a possibility which is not neutral, that we are moving forward in and all of a sudden now, likely all of a sudden, I mean in the last few months perhaps already, moving in a direction which promises, which tells us that yes, the future is much more opening up for us, a positive, constructive future than we have thought that we are part of a goal-directed evolutionary system and we're beginning to realize it and joining it. And that joining means exercising what you and I and many people around us call love. We can become loving beings and that way by feeling the loving, the love imperative, the love impetus in the world, we can be agents of a better world coming to us. I have that sense. It's not a usual optimism. It's a sense of optimism. It's a sense of possibility. I'm a possibilist, a potentialist, if you say. We have the potential to move forward. We need to facilitate it. And you and I and people around us on this podcast series, we are committed to facilitate that positive evolutionary option, which is the greatest promise, the greatest light at the end of the tunnel that we find now in this day and age. In a sense, we're acting like midwives, and I'd like to hear a midwife response from Fred about this dynamic of helping to facilitate to birth uh, what Irvin and Deepak have been talking about. Your thoughts? Yes. Um, you know, we are the midwife of the uh, of the field. We we do participate in the creation with our belief and thoughts we create always our future. If we look at history, our future is always in our head. And we are the representative otherwise called doing God's work or we are the agent of the universe. Now we've already predicted a long time ago that this era is gonna come, the second exile era. We don't know exactly when, but we know that in many of the traditions, it says 2,500 years after Buddha's gone, this is gonna come, major awakening. In fact, Buddha even wrote a, 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 a diamond heart sutra for this people 2,500 years to study. It was predicted. Why? If you think about energy as just clustering, clustering together to give a perception of form because we have uh, receptors. And so we perceive it as a form. As Deepa said earlier, you know, it is just perceptions. It doesn't exist. So the clustering of energy to give the perception of, of matter and form. And so as we move, we actually participate. If you think about energy, it's always rotating like yin and yang. And therefore we see history keep repeat itself. Everything is duality of moving yin and yang because it's energy. And if you don't have intervention to the energy, you can actually predict the energy where it's going. Unless, of course, human being awakens and participate more and more 
in shifting the energy, and therefore you have a little bit of impact. But we think that we have a lot of impact. Sorry, we're just an agent. And so this awakening is well protected. The Mayan calendar predicted. The energy of Earth is increasing. The speed is increasing. So being on Earth, we observe the same thing. Our energy is not separable from the universe energy. And that's why there's astrology, right? And so, yes, I totally agree. Uh, we are agent. We participate somewhat. And to the Chinese is, hey, we have to live in accordance to the Tao. Why? We don't create anything. The evolution energy is creating it through us. So we think that we're doing anything. We are wrong. We don't. We are just the vehicle, the agent. We're just like a handful. It looks like there's a lot of information in a hand flown, but actually without Wi-Fi and we have nothing on the cloud, you have nothing in a handful. It's like watching the TV. It's not the TV, it's a broadcasting station. But we thought the TV is it. You see, I press the button, something comes out. It was nothing to do with the TV. We're just a vehicle for the broadcasting station. And everything is changing, why? Because it's always oscillating. In the dualistic world, it appears this way. But as Deepa said quietly, knowing and not knowing, existent, non-existent. The duality does not exist in the holistic world of no substance. So the whole key thing is changing the way we perceive and every action of ours would be different. Thank you. Beautiful. I want to ask you something, Deepak, because this is all related. Do you know how uh, when somebody is drowning, they're flailing in the water? And in a sense, this is sort of what the dynamic is on Earth right now in this global identity crisis or all the, the convulsions that we're going through as we're birthing whatever is coming next. So uh, actually, I'm going to give a different metaphor of a dance class because it's almost like this world is doing 10 million different dances. One part of the world is doing a ballet, another is doing jazz, another is doing rap, another is doing cha-cha. Each individual rhythm is, is wonderful in and of itself, but we're not coordinated. So we're, we're afraid, I think, of allowing to be led. And we're all trying to be the partner that's leading when it comes to energy. That's just my perception. So I want to ask you, because I know that you made a quote that everything is merely a perception, individual exploration of one's conscious, purpose-driven footpath. Yet, with so much human diversity and so much fear uh, right now operative in the world, how to, first of all, interpret well-being and reach an agreed upon meaning for person and planet in order to breathe easier and birth this dawn of an era of well being collectively. Is this kind of chaotic energy just going to happen in spite of us and mayhem uh, evolves? Or is there a way to do this with a modicum of grace? So you I'll, um, uh, the short answer to your question is the only definition of well being 
is self-realization. Not self-improvement, but self-realization. And a critical mass of that self-realization, which Erwin and Fred both referred to as the awakening. So awakening is getting rid or going beyond the divided mind. Now, in order to do that, we have to also understand a few very basic principles. And those principles are that... Um, Number one, differentiation is not separation. So, you know, when a human baby is conceived, you have 25,000 genes and um, they, they kind of, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, let's call that uh, 25,000 packet of genes, um, a, a fertilized ovum, which is pluripotential. It has many possibilities. And it divides about 50 times to create the 30, 40, 50 trillion cells that make a human baby. Uh, all it needs is 50 replications. One becomes two, two becomes four, etc. And the end, you have a human body-mind, uh, which has more cells than all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, when you look at this baby or you look at any biological organism, you say, oh, that's the eyes, that's the nose, that's the liver, that's the brain, those are hair follicles, that's genitalia. And we now think these are separate items in a human body. But in fact, they are differentiated activities of that wholeness that self-organizing principle that's inherent in the formless, infinite, irreducible, mysterious, incomprehensible, unimaginable reality that we can call whatever we want, the unified field, God, Allah, Ein Sof, Brahman, it doesn't matter, those are words. But whatever that infinite mystery is, whatever that infinite mystery is, it is intellectually, scientifically, philosophically incomprehensible to pretend even that we can scientifically understand that mystery is huge arrogance. We are now told by science that there are 2 trillion galaxies, that there are 700 sextillion stars, that are there might be uncountable trillions of planets in maybe 60 billion habitable planets in just the Milky Way galaxy. And so in this entire scheme of things, planet Earth is not even a speck of or a grain of sand in all the beaches of the universe. And on that grain of sand is a species called Homo sapiens, self-described uh, as the wise ones, is uh, going to save the universe. Uh, it's the height of hubris and arrogance. So when we begin to understand two, three principles, uh, only two, three principles, really. One is diversity and differentiation is actually manifestation. So maximum diversity, shared vision, which I mentioned earlier, emotional and spiritual bonding, complementing each other's strengths with that shared vision and that emotional and spiritual connection that we call love, but with maximum diversity. When I say maximum diversity, it means diversity of people in the field of entertainment, songwriters, poets, 
movie makers, entertainers, edu people from the educational field, from academia, the grassroots, uh, maximum diversity of gender, um, LGBT, all the marginalized communities, maximum uh, diversity of race. When you bring maximum diversity, which is the nature of the infinite to differentiate into maximum diversity, you also bring maximum creativity. So creativity, love, diversity, shared vision, emotional bonding. That's the, those are the ingredients for the movement that uh, uh, Fred and uh, and Irwin are predicting, and that has been said before. We're not saying it for the first time. We're recycling some of the greatest luminaries that have existed, whether it's the Buddha or Rumi or Jesus. It doesn't matter. Some of the greatest um, luminaries have said this in the past, but now we have technology. We are right now. We're sitting. You know, I'm. I'm in. New York, uh, Fred is in, uh, in uh, Singapore, uh, and Irwin is in Europe, and we're having a conversation, and we're reaching hopefully millions of people. This is a neural network that's evolving. Now we call it the internet, but you know it's a neural network, a new connectome that is evolving. Uh, no one in the past, not Jesus, not Muhammad, not, um, not uh, Rumi, not the Buddha had this privilege of extending their little microphone into a global uh, arena where if what we're saying makes sense, and there is, in fact, the possibility of rewiring the entire planet's brain, through what we call the internet. And as even as we speak right now, the technologies that are evolving, and we can't take credit for the evolution of these technologies because the technologies themselves are part of the evolutionary impulse of the universe. Unfortunately, the technologies are both divine and diabolical. So when you have creativity and the divided mind, you get nuclear weapons. When you have creativity and the whole mind, you get a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. So this technology, I feel, as it extends into what we call the metaverse, into new things, even though they're going through turbulence, cryptocurrency, democratization uh, of the privilege for freedom, the idea of shared values, the fact that technology will soon move into blockchain, decentralized voting systems, um, the ability to track everything to its source, the blockchain technology, the cryptocurrencies, the new metaverse that will evolve into immersive, um, intelligent ecosystems where we are actually immersed in the reality that we are projecting and expanding our perceptual activity beyond even normal human, you know, normal perceptual activity is a very narrow band of uh, uh, electromagnetic activity that we translate into our perceptual experience that we call everyday reality. But, you know, that is very species specific. I've now met people who can access the reality of other species, of plants, of insects, of other sentient beings. We are part of a matrix of intelligence that is so incomprehensible. No philosophy, no science 
will take us there. So I go back to traditions like the Buddha's tradition, because I'm part of that Eastern culture, but also uh, go back to the Vedanta, which, um, you know, has some amazing insights. You know, the Yoga Vaishishta, a text from thousands of years ago, says infinite universes come and go in the vast expanse of consciousness. They're like motes of dust dancing in a beam of light. And those infinite universes exist in consciousness alone. So in these wisdom traditions, they outline certain principles. And I'm not, we don't have the luxury of time right now to go through all these principles. I just want to mention the first and the last, the bookends. Okay. And this is from Vedanta and the yogic system. The first principle, which is the first yama, which means um, principle of social interaction. The first principle is ahimsa. Ahimsa means love and non-violence, not by what you say, not by what you do, but your presence of being. So that's the first, you know, your, you are the embodiment of love and presence and peace in the same way as light from a bonfire or light from the sun, focused on none, denied to none, but just radiating that presence of love. That's the first bookend. And the last bookend, and there are many in between that we don't have time to go to, um, the last is surrender to the divine, incomprehensible, irreducible, formless, infinite, wondrous mystery that we are. If we do that, and we understand that differentiation is not separation, that diversity is, in fact, the advantage to our collective creativity at the moment, then we have a solution. Wow. What you said, Brock. Urban, yes. I think important element is to realize that it's not the question of understanding a consciousness that is head by the universe that consciousness is not a subject predicate attribute. It's not that there is the universe and then it has consciousness. That consciousness is the universe. That we are part of a conscious universe, a psychophysical universe. Not, not in a dualistic sense, but in an integrated sense. That incomprehensible whole of, of, about which Deepak is talking is an expression of consciousness. And that we human beings are capable of glimpsing some element of that, glimpsing at least that there is this consciousness in the world and that it, it is higher than anything else around us and that we can, are part of it and we can be a conscious midwife of its development. That is surely not a usual factor, at least on this part of the universe, this solar system, it's an unusual privilege not by chance that we are here. We are here, I think, to be conscious elements of the consciousness, which is the universe, translating that consciousness into well-being, if we, if we grasp it, if we recognize it right. For that, we need a new mindset. With that, we need the old mindset, what Deepak is talking about, rediscovered and re-embraced. Then we can together move forward and create the kind of world that we were meant to create, 
because this is not an indifferent universe, not a chance universe. It is here to move toward higher and higher levels of evolution, diversity, but also integration, choice among the many elements that make available ever more paths opening for us. And we are at a cusp, we are at a moment when this is recognition is dawning on us and it's making us conscious architects, conscious agents, as Fred is talking about it as well, conscious agents of this evolutionary trend. So we are at a fascinating moment of human history. Nothing like this has happened. A conscious species recognizing the multiple paths that are, are making, becoming available to it. Facilitators, agents, you've got to be conscious agents, conscious facilitators. Then the great, undescribable, incomprehensible whole that Deepak is talking about will be translated in us through our intuition, not through our rational mind, but through our intuition, will be translated into action so that we can all physically live and thrive together on this planet. Beautifully said. So let me ask you something, Fred, uh, because Deepak was talking essentially about radiating a loving energy and surrender. He also had mentioned, among others, Rumi. And I want to ask you something, Fred, um, relating to our dark if you will, our dark nature, which continually asserts itself throughout the ages, uh, yet we keep condemning and suppressing it, which just reinforces it as it festers and either explodes into more violence and tolerance that we're seeing right now or implodes as in disease. Rumi has a quote, and I, I'll tell you this, that which haunts us will always find a way out. The wound will not heal unless given witness. The shadow that follows us is the way in. So when birthing this new era of well-being, should we first, we're talking about grand and vital concepts, but we've got to also bring them down into a kind of bite-sized piece that various people around the world can digest. And there is so much fear right now. So when birthing this new era of well-being, should we first perhaps lily pad towards love by removing the stigma of disliking something or disagreeing with someone and first learn to do that safely and respectfully? Is that a lily pad towards love or is there no such thing? And then I'd like to hear Deepak's feelings. <clears throat> Fred is reflecting. No, I'm trying to find a little arrow to open up my mute. <laughs> a real world issue. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, evolve in the direction of perceived challenge. You think about your life, isn't it true? And then why is it a challenge, right? So, you know, the minute in the dualistic world, when there's light, there's shadow. It's always there, but there's no light, no shadow. It's our perception of light and shadow. So when we go at our shadow, we'll find the light, and vice versa. But you know, there is no such thing, the dark side. It's just a, an appearance in a dualistic world. They always happen. There's light, there must be shadow. And so when we think, oh, this is our dark side, there's a perception. So earlier I heard the thing about nonviolent. It, it just clicked my mind. What is nonviolent communication? 
don't be judgmental. And what is judgmental? The minute you have duality, you have like and dislike. So you take out the, the duality and judgment, now your perception is subject-object unity. And so first, if we, if we say, okay, where am I going to find light? You're going to see the shadow, and you know where the light is casting. You know the sun is that direction, right? But that too is not real. It's still a dualistic thinking of looking at things. And in effect, would there be light if there is no darkness? And so it's true. But you think about today is very interesting, right? So we know we're in the information year. Now we are going to have digital information, uh, DNA information, and all information. We truly move into information year. The funny thing about projection, we can actually see ourselves. We are a projection. We are a projection, a holographic reality. And this holographic reality with the conscious create another holographic reality or metaverse that we can experience reality before we create what we say. Oh, where we create the reality physically, which is also a holographic reality. Now, wouldn't it be easier? Now, we're just hearing about the future of metaverse that you can actually do digital twins uh, that actually can have bioelectrical structure like yourself. You can actually subscribe a medicine and give it to your digital twin and see the result before you actually take the medicine in your body. So they're doing all kinds of things with metaverse. It's not a game thing only. So look at this. We project in this holographic reality to create another holographic reality so we can see the holographic reality. Now, isn't it easier to wake up to understand what holographic reality is, where well, we can jump in that one and experience and live there? So this is indeed a very interesting era for awakening. And everything indicated we're moving there, right? So I just finished a new book, uh, which, which is on this topic about the vision, a new economy that uh, that uh, uh, the uh, United Nations said, well, we need a new paradigm, a new economic paradigm of well-being and happiness. We need to have that to move from GDP to GHP. Now, GHP is not outside. GHP is inside. So after 10 happiness report is jogging on the same spot, you cannot find GHP outside. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fred. So let me, off the heels of that, let me pose this to all of you, whoever would like to respond. Suffering has been a hallmark of the human condition, the human condition, and even spiritual awakening with dark nights of the soul that can make or break us. The, the feeling of vulnerability can cause us to erect walls of protection or remove barriers to the awareness of a loving presence. So with the world in upheaval, homesteads being challenged by environmental collapse, jobs being replaced by AI, all the vulnerability that this implies, 
is creativity, and I think Deepak, you were you were referring to this early on, is creativity our new salvation, if you will, our new skill set for not only surviving but inviting well-being is awakening via suffering becoming old paradigm and awakening by finding one's creative passion, imagination, and self-expression, new paradigm. Who would like to short answer? Uh, is yes, new paradigm, but creativity and love and surrender to the infinite all go together. Uh, creativity without love is totally meaningless and dangerous and diabolical. So you need both of that. Now, while I was listening to Fred, here's is what the thought came to me. <laughs> Nothing that we attribute as a property of the physical world actually exists in the physical world. So if I asked you, where's the color red? There's no color red in the physical world, you know, and even as I perceive this color red, it's colorless photons, colorless photons that appearing in my consciousness is the colorless color red. So there's no color in the real world. A color only exists in consciousness. And without color, there's no shape. And without shape, there's no form. Similarly, there's no sound in the real world. There's no flavor in the real world. There's no scent in the real world. There's no image in the real world. There's no thought in the real world. There's no insight in the real world, or what we call the real world, the physical world, the creative world. The whole thing is assembled non-locally. And yet we have this extraordinary experience that we are having a local experience. And that is a trick of the senses, as uh, Fred said. And our sensory perception is always delivering magical lies. So, you know, they're magical in that everything appears that it's true. You know, the earth seems flat, but we know it's spinning at dizzying speeds, hurtling through space at thousands of miles an hour. And it's not flat. Things appear solid. We know they are proportionately as void as intergalactic space. So everything that you perceive, everything that you can think, everything that you can imagine, everything that you can conceptualize, is a lie. It's And that includes, by the way, quantum particles. We say, oh, that's a Higgs boson. We gave a name to a space-time event in consciousness in a very complicated experiment that costs billions of dollars. We excluded every activity in the universe. We saw a blip in the Hadron Collider. And by the time we saw it, it didn't exist. And we say, oh, that's Higgs boson. It creates mass in the universe. Um, it's as good as saying, you know, that uh, the whole universe came from this one particle that we have now observed when by the time we observed it, it didn't even exist. The whole scientific paradigm, which is very useful for creating technology, but is now getting to the point where it says, you know, there is no such thing as a world. There is no such thing as a universe. There's no such thing as even a body. There is only the infinite modifying itself into a multiplicity of infinite modes of knowing that are also not only species specific, but culture specific within human beings. So, you know, there will never be an agreement on what is reality 
as we interpret it through our five senses because we were all conditioned differently. So what we call light and shadow, up and down, you know, pleasure and pain, all these things are created by us in order that we can know ourselves as that. I can know myself as that. What I call an object is an experience. Whether it's a book or my telephone, it's an experience. And as an experience, it's a modulation of perceptual activity interpreted by human beings as this iPhone, but actually it's me in disguise. So when I see myself in an object, whether it's a coffee cup or a phone, that's beauty. When I see myself in another living being, that's love. And love and beauty are truth. And we have to go beyond our normal concepts, including the shadow self and all of this, to see in that wholeness of experience, everything is me in disguise. And that me is not a person. Even what I call the other is me in a different uniform. So, you know, my Sarai card, the eyes, with, the eye with which I see God is the same eye that God sees me with. Or, or you know, even a simple injunction that nobody understands, love your enemy as yourself. Well, because your enemy is yourself in another variety, in another uh, mutation, in another um, uh, uh, expression. For that, at some point, even our philosophies don't work. We have to just be still. As Ruby said, know that God's language is silence and everything else is poor translation. So, you know, we have to settle into that being that transcends all differentiation and suddenly there's glory. The glory is joy, the joy, uh, truth, goodness, beauty, harmony, love, compassion, empathy, equanimity, and freedom from the constructs of birth and death, which are based on false identity. So you talked about suffering, and Fred will be an expert in the Four Noble Truths and the causes of suffering, as outlined in in Buddhism, but they're similar in Vedanta, they say, the cause of suffering, five causes of suffering called the kleshas, not knowing who you really are, confusing yourself with your selfie, grasping and clinging at experience which can't be held on to because every experience is transient, ephemeral, ungraspable, recoiling from the same experiences, identifying with your ego and fear of death. But in that true identity that we really are, these things disappear. They're like phantoms that we created as a result of confusing differentiation with separation. I, I saw what looked like a divine light emanating from down up on your face. And sorry that we're not doing a, a video podcast <laughs> instead of audio, but was that, was that the real deal, Deepak, or was that the iPhone? <laughs> I think I was messing with the iPhone, trying to shut it off, but it wouldn't. Well, look at that. It still looks like divine light, and I'm sure it is embedded well, in that as well. Why not capture it on video anyway? Indeed. <laughs> um, I'd like to, Irvin, please, I want to turn over to, to you, please. There are, these are ultimate questions, <laughs> but let's not go into the other extremes of thinking that these questions can be resolved by simple yes or no answers. 
the closest we can get is by intuition, rationalized to the sense in the sense of what can be understand. That we can understand anything at all is a tremendous mystery. Is the, is the greatest miracle of all. As Einstein said that. This universe has elements that is understandable, but it's not a physical universe, not a material universe. It's not a mental universe. It's a holographic oneness which self-evolves. I think that's the closest we can get to that. Something happened in our estimation 13.7 billion years ago. Something happened, a singularity, which created further events. Uh, events that are moving one to another, get, becoming more and more complex, more and more interconnected. Chaos is being reduced and being replaced by coherence. More and more something is happening. But what that is happening is not in a physical universe, because that will be a mis misleading way of, of emphasizing, of placing that. What is happening is this psychophysical oneness, this total Akashic paradigmatic field, this, this holographic oneness, which is there, which is the greatest mystery as Deepak talks about it, but it is something which is there. It's not just imagination. Something is happening. To, to say that there is nothing there, if you're just imagining it all, is to go back into the fallacy of the objective idealist. Yes, there is, but it's not something separate. It's not something which you can see, there it is, and it has such and such properties. It is a holistic, wholeness consciousness, which evolves itself. The real question is, we becoming aware of this, we becoming conscious of it, can we use our consciousness to become coherent facilitators, midwives? So there's this remarkable event, which we call homo sapiens, this remarkable configuration of vibrations and, and frequencies that we can somehow glimpse. How is, could that survive? How could that continue to live, to exist, to thrive? This is the realization, not beyond, beyond body-mind dualism, beyond consciousness and the physical world. Going to recognize that we are part of a self-evolving wholeness. That is perhaps as far as I can see, as far as you can go. To become a good part, a constructive part, that is the mission of a conscious species. It's a mission to which we have to live up to. It's our task in this world. Beautifully stated, Irvin. I think we're coming to the end of this program and I just wanna ask each of you if you have a, a final thought or comment that you'd like to make or a question. Fred, <laughs> I see you leaning in. Ready I, to like, uh, I like to go back to two comments um, our colleagues made. One is um, uh, the final comment, but one is coherency. And, uh, and the other is uh, Deepak saying that uh, love, creativity, and surrender is not separable. It's the same thing. So when you're whole, it's not separable. Only thing is you commit uh, what the Chinese yellow emperor canon say, all our sickness is because we're ignorant. If they were just like a Socrates who says, you know, know thyself, 
The only thing I know is I know nothing. So in Chinese cultures, if you have that, at least you will be careful and not to get sick. <laughs> but this wholeness is love. Love is, when I and you not separate, how can not be love? But it's not the love you see in Hollywood. And creativity doesn't come from you. It comes from the source. It comes from the cosmos. So if you don't surrender your calling by them and insist to use your ignorant desire to drive things, none of them exist. And that is a coherency, well-being, oneness that Irvin was talking about. I mean, it touches me that these comes together as little as language can explain. I think we have an energetic dialogue today here of understanding each other. Absolutely. Beautiful. Fred, thank you. Deepak, any final thoughts? I just reinforce what Fred said uh, with a quote from Rumi. He said, exchange your cleverness for bewilderment. And uh, I think bewilderment is a holy experience. And um, when we have that holy experience, we are holy ourselves. We are whole and we are healed. Um, And what uh, creativity is a new story, a new context, a new meaning, new relationship is really a death and a resurrection. So we need that death of the old story and we need uh, the virgin birth of the new story. Oh, here's to that. Irvin, final thoughts. I think we have said most of it. I think it's dealing with a great mystery in which we participate. It's not outside of us, it's in us. If we want to be give up to our mission of conscious beings, we have to wake up to know that the answer is in us and that the problems of this world have arisen because we have ignored them. We have just started to do everything we could for short-term benefits. Now it's time to get back to recognize that we are children of the universe. We are part of that wholeness that Deepak is talking about, that Fred is talking about, and do our best to be a constructive part. So as indestructible, indefinable events in this universe, we could continue to exist in this universe to persist and to help other indescribable elements to persist with us. You know, thank you all. I I have to say that recently the G7 convened here in town, uh, and I feel that today we've had a, a convening of the G3. This is leadership with love, and I want people who are listening around the world, whatever culture, whatever um, demographic, whatever position you're in, whatever job situation, leaders of nations or corporations, or those just leading their lives with love. This is important stuff today. This is the stuff of enchantment. And I want to thank you, Deepak. I want to thank you, Irvin. And I want to thank you, Fred, for this really riveting, riveting discussion today. It's going to reverberate far and wide. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you 
for tuning in um, around the world. Uh, I wish we had more time, maybe a sequel. Hey, <laughs> and I want to thank also our wonderful production team led by Nora Cesar, Kenichi Sugihara, Fabrizio Beria, and those many wonderful others at ITEA Institute. I'm Alison Goldwyn, inviting you to join us for more podcast episodes and to gift a copy of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing book to yourself or a loved one. It's a wonderful companion during challenging times. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. The bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So remember, when building that new paradigm for humankind, let's include humankindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Piba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sal, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, the podcast on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Alison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week. Bye.